Welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin. I am not an expert. I'm just a person like you living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS. But what you choose to do with that information is always your choice, and what works for one may not work for all. In our previous episode, we talked about Boyd Truman's Symphony of the Cells Essential Oil Protocols. Since then, I've been doing the Maxim protocol these past few weeks because I've been experiencing more stress than usual, and I was craving extra support through the combination of these highly powerful oils. Now that it's September, I've decided to switch to the Emobic protocol because some of those stressors I've been experiencing have resulted in me being just a little less chipper and optimistic as what's normal for me and feels good. I'm excited to start that protocol tomorrow and every three days after as it's designed to enhance the emotional and limbic systems, restore mental and emotional alertness, and support in overcoming negative emotions. I'll let you know how it goes. A few folks have reached out so far to express their interest in trying Symphony of the Cells for their own healing. Reach out if it interests you too, and I will support you however I can. It would be fun to have a bunch of us testing their effectiveness and sharing our experiences. This week, we're going to do something a little different. As listeners know, I love to research. I find solace in the search for better understanding of everything MS. This month, I was struck by how helpful two tools have been for me over the past handful of years that I have been avidly researching, and I wanted to take some time to share those avenues of knowledge and understanding so that you, too, and your loved ones can likewise access these sources if they are not already on your radar. But first, my gratitude this week is for a very special woman living with MS named Paula that I met shortly after my diagnosis in 2015. We lost touch after I moved a few years back, but she has remained an integral part of my MS story. Full disclosure, since that's how I roll, whether it's MS or just my aging Swiss cheese brain, I was struggling to even remember her name for the past year or so, which honestly had been growing increasingly frustrating over time. Earlier this week, I finally got irritated enough that I dedicated time to sorting through old emails from 2017, and I actually found her address. Turns out all along, I actually wasn't confusing her name with another person I know with the same name. Oops. I sent her a message post-haste, and I'm hopeful to hear back from her soon with an update. It's important that I express my gratitude for Paula today because she had an interesting approach to living well with MS that is relevant for this episode. 
First, I met Paula through a family friend shortly after my diagnosis, which was incredibly helpful because she had been living with MS for well over 50 years by then, if my memory is correct. This was really helpful for me at a pretty scary time to meet someone living so well for so long with MS. As someone who is an avid researcher and certified learn-it-all, and someone who takes comfort in knowing so I can choose my path forward in an informed manner, upon my diagnosis, I was eager to get started to learn about this disease I would now live with for the rest of my life, but honestly didn't know much about. Over lunch together one day, Paula shared her approach, and it's important to share today because just like each of us has MS that is uniquely manifested in us, we also each get to choose how we approach our own healing, which is especially important as we learn what works for one does not necessarily work for all. Paula was diagnosed with MS before there were any reliable treatments for MS or before there was any real data on how lifestyle interventions could slow progression. So young Paula decided the way she would approach life with MS was to intentionally not learn about MS. It wasn't, however, that she was in denial or avoiding MS. She just decided she would find the best MS doctor around and then trust them completely to do the research and make the best decisions for her ongoing care. Paula has lived a wonderful long life so far. She's an avid traveler and a generous, sharp-witted, compassionate friend to many. She doesn't dwell on her MS, but also isn't ashamed of it, and tries quite successfully not to let it limit her too much. All this to say, this approach has worked quite well for her over many, many years. So today, thank you, Paula, for being such an important part of my early MS journey. I'm so grateful that you helped to so strongly orient me toward living well with MS early on. And even though we've chosen to take very different pathways in how we live well with MS, you helped me get my head on straight at a time when I needed it most. I have seen over time just how much mindset can impact our progression. Thank you, Paula, for being such a guiding light and inspiration. I hope we reconnect very soon. The main publication we're going to look at in detail today is called Brain and Life. I first read this magazine when I was sitting in my diagnosing neurologist's waiting room. At a time when I didn't know which way was up, this magazine helped me gain my bearings and start to assemble a landscape of knowledge around me. This scaffolding of knowledge has grown in me over the years, in large part because of this publication. As I reflected on the years I've read this magazine, I realized just how much of a faithful friend it has become, as well as a skilled teacher. This free magazine that you can sign up to receive either hard copy via mail or digitally is easy to obtain. Just visit myblsub.com to sign up. I will post the link on our Patreon page for your convenience. This magazine is released every few months, and it's one I never skip. The most recent release is the August-September 2021 issue. One of the coolest aspects of this magazine is actually exactly what frustrated me the most about it at the start. It's not just about MS. 
But now, with the benefit of hindsight being 2020, I realize just how critical it is to understand the spectrum of neurodiversity and autoimmunity, not just MS in isolation. In every edition, there's something new and pure gold that pushes my thinking to yet another level. So today, I'm going to do a quick book talk through this publication to showcase the types of information you can expect if you choose to subscribe to this free publication. Bonus, a friend or family member can subscribe too, and it's available in Spanish. So this is a great way for us to help our families, friends, caregivers, and other support providers better understand the challenges we face and how to support us in ways that help rather than hinder all while keeping our dignity intact. Featured stories in this episode as shown on the cover, compassionate drug use, how the experimental drug process works. Ask your neurologist what to do when insurance denies a claim. And an article about PTSD, about how seeking help for traumatic event is a sign of strength. Inside, we find a brief letter from the editor who talks about the allure of a cure. The approval of a new drug to treat Alzheimer's disease creates controversy and a glimmer of hope. This drug is covered in more detail in an article called Cautious Hope for Dementia. Reading articles like these over time have helped me to understand and have more compassion for how difficult it can be for our neurologist to suggest a right fit treatment option for us, and also just how complex neurological impairments can be. There's more overlap than we might think, and I appreciate that Brain and Life magazine is so transparent with what we know and still don't know, as well as everything in between. Even articles that at first glimpse might not seem directly related to MS or relevant for us, like the one titled, Theater is Therapy for Patients with Ataxia, have been helpful. Before I read this article, I didn't think anything would be terribly relevant for me wrong. Upon reading it, I learned a lot about ataxia and how patients with ataxia struggle with balance, coordination, walking, and speech. Hmm, I thought. Wow, this sounds a lot like the struggles many of us face with MS. Upon further research in the journal Frontiers in Neurology, they stated, quote, MS commonly affects the cerebellum, causing acute and chronic symptoms. Cerebellar signs contribute significantly to clinical disability, and symptoms such as tremor, ataxia, and dysarthia are particularly difficult to treat. Cerebellar ataxia is common with MS, especially in progressive disease. Well, hmm. The more you know, as they say, apparently this is highly relevant. The article goes on to share that physical therapy is often the only source of relief for ataxia, but success varies and patients often find the PT boring and disengage over time. What this article highlighted was a six-week virtual pilot program where participants worked one or two times a week with professional actors, singers, or dancers. While only a small study, participants thoroughly enjoyed themselves and showed noticeable improvements through breath work, mindfulness, and core strength stretches like yoga, and showed increased creativity and joy through improvisation activities. Some of us with MS struggle with ataxia, whether it be balance, coordination, walking, or speech. 
On the bright side, it's helpful to know we aren't alone in these struggles, as many other folks who don't have MS do experience ataxia as well. And how awesome to know that utilizing our creativity and theatrical skills can bring us joy and symptom relief. It also reminds me that while I maybe can't do some of the things I used to do, I can find creative similar ways to bring me equivalent levels of satisfaction. So reading about the challenges of others helps further develop my empathy and compassion for others and for myself. To learn more about this awesome program, you can visit broadwayforataxia.org. Another article titled Losing Weight is Good for Brain Health was a good reminder that maintaining a healthy weight can help us maintain a higher quality of life, reduce the frequency and intensity of migraines, reduce the severity of sleep apnea, and lower our blood pressure. A 2019 study they referenced found that obesity may contribute to MS development over time. They also shared how excess belly fat increases our overall inflammation, which then releases inflammatory chemicals that can cause further damage to our brains. The second half of the article gratefully shares helpful weight loss tips within a neurological context. And there's also links to other health information on their website and recommended recipes for brain health that aid in weight loss. When we turn the page, we find an article called Tap Dancing Boosts Mood and Energy. While this article is about vascular dementia, it's an important read for us. Until very recently, a dear friend's highly likely MS diagnosis took a turn and is now likely vascular dementia. I did not know how similar it could be to MS. We've known each other a couple of years and we were both quite certain, as well as her former neurologist, that she had MS, given that we have so many shared symptoms and experiences. It seemed like textbook MS. This is yet another example to show how complicated neurologic conditions can be and why on average it can take three to five years for an accurate diagnosis. By reading about all the ways we are neurodiverse, we can expand our compassion for others, realize that we are not so alone in our experiences and hardships, and hopefully develop a little more understanding and compassion for the enormity and intricate complexity of the task our neurologists have, the accurate diagnosis of a complicated neurologic condition. This particular article goes on to share the awesome ways the instructors differentiate to meet the unique needs of participants, which as a former educator warms my heart. It also states that in general, people are more likely to stick with dance than any other form of exercise because of the fun factor, with less than 20% dropout rate. Did you know that most programs have a 50% dropout rate at the six-month mark? Pretty cool, the power of dance. In addition, most dance involves socialization, and research shows that socialization offers protection against dementia. If you have an affinity for dance, or even a mild curiosity, and especially if you struggle with commitment to exercise over time, check out YouTube for dance options. You might like to search for adaptive dance or seated dance options, there are a plethora to choose from. Moving on through this edition of Brain and Life, we meet Tiffany, a woman diagnosed with epilepsy in 2008. 
While I won't share the details of her story here, she and her husband established the Epilepsy Network, which is an international community for people with epilepsy. It's a beautiful story of how Tiffany turned her unchosen change into something good for others. Tiffany says, quote, I never imagined that my diagnosis would give me a new purpose. Instead of robbing me of joy and faith, it has renewed both. I am stronger, more engaged, and more patient with myself than I ever used to be. And I've met a whole new community of people who have enriched my life. I felt this important to share since I'm at a point now in my life where I would never want to go back to before life with MS. I've met so many awesome people around the world I wouldn't have ever met otherwise. And some, maybe even you, have become amongst my closest of friends since y'all understand my struggles in a very special way that no one else can. In the second half of the publication, we find an article about actor Gary Sinise, who played Lieutenant Dan in the movie Forrest Gump. It's a beautiful read about how he established the Gary Sinise Foundation to support soldiers' physical and mental well-being, who have a high rate of PTSD and traumatic brain injuries. It's a really cool program that offers three weeks of multidisciplinary treatment. On hand are a team of neurologists working alongside other specialists in the area of trauma counseling, headache or migraine care, sleep, and so forth. They work together in one place with one mission to maximize recovery. How cool is that? Can you imagine? I'll briefly mention a couple quick related options for us that I'm aware of in case they are intriguing for you. MSCruisers.com is a cruise line for people with MS and their family and friends. Programming is offered throughout the cruise to teach and inspire through healing methods for better MS health and fitness. You might also not know about MS Adventure Camp, which is a summer camp for kids entering grades 4 through 12 who live with someone with MS. And for adults, there are lots of options at VerySpecialCamps.com. Another article in this episode of Brain and Life that I found tremendously helpful and relevant is titled, What Can I Do If My Insurance Denies a Claim? Did you know that insurance denies one in seven cases? So if you haven't personally experienced this yet, it's highly likely we all will at some point. The article shares that for neurology patients, the denials we face are most often related to the cost of our treatments, rehabilitation stays, or the number of approved physical therapy visits. The article shares all the steps to take when we receive a denial letter, as well as who to reach out to for help. Insurers are required to send us information detailing all avenues of appeal, so if you're ever in this situation, be sure to ask for it if they don't provide it. The simplest avenue they share, which has worked for me in the past, is to have our doctors appeal on our behalf. Some insurers may make us try a new treatment first before they will reverse their decision, which is known as a fail first or step edit. For us, the article lists folks at the MS Society, mssociety.org, as a good resource to help us through this process. On page 23, we can read about the newly approved medication for dementia, 
You may have heard a lot of conflicting information about it in the news recently. This article covers everything you'll need to know if this pertains to you. It also included a helpful list of smart ways all of us can lower our own risk of developing Alzheimer's. This article is followed by a piece called Last Resort about a program called Expanded Access for folks with terminal diseases who may be eligible for experimental drugs. They specifically mention a large number of newer DMTs for neurology patients, and this program can help expedite access. There's also another avenue called Right to Try, which was signed into law in 2018. If either of these programs are applicable to you, I encourage you to check them out further. Next up, we find Rare Care, which is an article about families who face unique challenges when someone in their family has an uncommon disease. Did you know that around a third of the 7,000 rare diseases are neurologic in nature? Rare here is defined as conditions that impact less than 200,000 people in the U.S. and may only impact a few hundred. So here again, it's helpful to have this context and better understand that it's no wonder it can take so long to arrive at an accurate diagnosis. This article again helped me see that more people understand what we experience than we might think. And while I wouldn't wish what we experience on anyone, we are definitely not alone on this journey. An article called Proceed with Caution is also highly relevant for us as it discusses black box warnings that many of our DMTs come with. Black box label warnings are required by the FDA when a medication could cause illness or injury that may result in hospitalization or even death. While potentially very scary, as many of us understand when going through the process of deciding on our own path of treatment, Dr. Ross, professor of public health at Yale School of Medicine, says, quote, A black box label warning doesn't mean the balance of benefits and risks for that patient doesn't tip toward benefit. It depends on the likelihood and severity of the risk, as well as the magnitude of the benefit. Each patient will weigh the likelihoods differently. To find out more about black box medications, you can visit brainandlife.org slash blackboxdrugs. After such a heavy read, I'm grateful that the last two articles are uplifting short stories showcasing two phenomenal people. The first is called Model of Resilience. In this article, we meet Jerry Gidner, a Native American with Tourette syndrome, who is raising awareness of the syndrome in underrepresented groups. My favorite part is where he shares about how having Tourette's has resulted in him becoming more empathetic and humble. And in Average Joe, we meet Joe Jalkowitz, who was born with spina bifida and hydrocephalus. Despite many challenges and surgeries in his young life, he talks about how he hit most of the major milestones of crawling, standing, walking, and even reading right on schedule. And that since age 13, he's been able to live what he calls, quote, an otherwise unremarkable life. 
He shares more about some powerful experiences he's had over the years, like cycling 100 miles in less than a day and visiting a medical museum and realizing just how much the surgeries he endured as a child enabled him to live such a rewarding and fairly normal life, which was not the case for folks with his condition prior to modern advancements. Even after reading through some heavy stuff in this magazine, I close it with a satisfied smile and can feel Joe's expression of gratitude wash over me. As they say, life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we react to it. I hope you enjoyed that walk through the current issue of Brain and Life. I also want to just briefly mention another publication today that is focused on solely MS, so you're more likely to have crossed paths with it. MS Focus Magazine. This magazine is created by the MS Foundation, and you can get free access to this publication in paper or digital form as well as access a wealth of additional content and all back issues at msfocusmagazine.org. Again, I'll post all resources on our Patreon page for your convenience. For today, I will simply share that this latest volume is called Parents and Children with MS. And it's an incredible resource dedicated to any parent with MS or parents who have children with MS. This magazine is organized into easily recognizable categories, medicine and research, hot topics, life with MS, MS-focused activities, and health and wellness. In this particular issue, here's a sampling of the titles you'll find. Parenting during times of stress. How to talk to your kids about MS. Hydrotherapy and aquatic exercise. Supporting children and teens with MS. Help for parents and children dealing with MS. Living with a twin who has MS. Little victories help to cope with drawbacks. Mitigating stresses experienced by caregivers. Top practical tips for parenting with MS. And my personal favorite, attitude makes a difference with MS. This article showcases John Mitchell, an 18-year-old who was only four years old when MS came into his life. He shares his perspective that because he was diagnosed so young, it's all he's ever really known, and that MS is truly who he is. I am struck by his optimism, yet honesty about the hardships. John also shares his favorite quote by Scott Hamilton, the only disability in life is a bad attitude. Good food for thought, John. My hope is that after listening to this episode, we all, one, understand how helpful it can be to research to learn more about MS and the many related conditions if we are people who take comfort in knowing. Two, that we release ourselves from feeling driven to research if we are more like Paula and would rather leave the research and expertise to our doctors and others. Three, that we take comfort knowing that there are a plethora of people and organizations that are working hard to better understand MS and get us closer to a cure. Brain and life and MS focus are two great ways for us and those we love to remain informed. 
And four, that we leave this episode contemplating ways we are more alike with others who don't live with MS. And we have a better understanding of the challenges all of us, including our neurologists, face, given the multifaceted, tangled web of neurodiversity. The next flock meeting is Saturday, September 4th. Yep, that's this Saturday. At the flock meeting, we'll discuss this episode and other episodes released earlier this month, and just spend some virtual time together supporting one another as we strive to live well with MS. I'm eager to hear how flock members approach their own MS education. Are you more of a Paula or more of a Katie? If you're not yet a flock member but would like to be, join us. We meet via Zoom the first Saturday of each month. You can learn more and join us by visiting patreon.com slash msflock. As always, I encourage all listeners to reach out with questions, comments, future podcast topics, or guest ideas via email to mymsflock at gmail.com. And lastly, remember... As we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be well.